Al Jazeera podcast. We make a living off the sea. We're at the mercy of the sea. If we don't protect the sea, who will? That's Haruo Ono, a Fukushima fisherman. Last week, on August 24th, Japan began releasing treated wastewater from the tsunami-ravaged Fukushima nuclear plant. He's one of many local fishermen protesting the release. Japan's prime minister is assuring the world releasing the water is safe. But many still fear the potential impact on marine life and their own livelihoods. Of course, the wastewater release is deemed safe by international scientists. But what's also true is that these fishermen, these locals, are very concerned about what's going to happen to them. I believe the Japanese government is trying to release poison into the ocean. I don't care if they say it's diluted. It's been 12 years since an earthquake triggered a devastating tsunami off the coast of northeastern Japan. It killed thousands and set off the meltdown of several power plant reactors. And now, the decision to release the water from the plant has made it difficult for residents to heal old wounds. So how will this wastewater release impact locals and neighboring countries that rely on the Pacific? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. My name is Hanako Montgomery, and I am a reporter based in Japan, and I've been freelancing for Al Jazeera. And where am I catching you right now? I am back in Tokyo in Japan. So we were in Fukushima for around two and a half, three days, and we just got back this afternoon. What is that journey like? You know, you're going along by the coast, lots of beautiful rice paddies, the ocean. It's a a nice drive. So take us back to 2011. An earthquake led to a tsunami that devastated the Fukushima nuclear power plant, and that led to a meltdown of its nuclear reactor. Do you remember where you were that day? Well, 2011, I was actually still in the United States. So I remember hearing about the tsunami and the earthquake from my grandparents and my friends back in Japan. And just feeling extremely... I mean, numb and and shocked at what was happening. The tsunami has struck the area, obviously engulfing farms, homes, alongside the river. The videos honestly look like something from, you know, a horror movie. And seeing all the homes being washed away in Fukushima. Tsunami waves inundated their city knocking buildings into rubble and mixing into a kind of tsunami soup filled with vehicles. The cars being flooded by the tsunami and the personal accounts of these harrowing stories of people trying to survive the tsunami was quite devastating. Seawater cascaded over sea walls and into cities. I think there was one 
woman who I interviewed who recalled hanging onto a door、mm. on the top of her building, and I think her building was maybe four flights up. Oh wow! And she was just yeah, really just hanging on for dear life. The earthquake was Japan's biggest earthquake in its recorded history, and the subsequent tsunami wiped away a lot of the towns around the shore on Fukushima. And I think some of the waves were around forty meters high, which is around one hundred and thirty-two feet.、Hmm. And as a result of this natural disaster. More than fifteen thousand people died from it,、mm. and it left four hundred fifty thousand people homeless. Oh my gosh! Can you recall for us exactly what happened to make the meltdown occur? Because we have this natural disaster, but the natural disaster then leads to an unnatural disaster. So. When the tsunami hit Fukushima and parts of Ibaraki, which is a prefecture just below Fukushima, it knocked down the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear cooling systems. So these huge, huge waves just towered over the Daiichi power plant. It led to the meltdown of three of its six reactors. The moment Japan's nuclear disaster began. A giant tsunami wave crashes into the Fukushima Daiichi power plant, seriously damaging the building's reactors. Fuel rods are now exposed, and if they stay that way, they could release radioactivity and a disaster of unknown proportions. Because of that, there was a lot of nuclear waste that was coming out of these reactors, and the Japanese government declared a nuclear emergency, and they had to evacuate. You know, tens of thousands of people in fear of radiation getting civilians very, very sick. What did they begin doing to cool the reactors? Yeah. So when the tsunami knocked out its cooling systems, its fuel rods were extremely hot, and in order to actually cool down the nuclear reactors to decommission the plant. Japan has been pumping water through it pretty much every single day since 2011.、Hmm. This is one method that you know nuclear scientists use to decommission plants. It's been used at different plants around the world, but you can't just release that water that's been circulated back into the ocean because now it contains radioactive waste. So instead of just throwing it back into the ocean, they've been storing it in these storage tanks. And Hanako says Japan developed a technique to purify the water called ALPS, which stands for Advanced Liquid Processing System. It gets a lot of the radioactive waste out, but not all of it. ALPS is supposed to remove most radioactive waste. For instance, things like、uh, cesium, estronium, radioactive isotopes that could cause a lot of damage to humans in high dosage. But tritium, which is another radioactive isotope, will not be removed from the wastewater, and this is because its chemical composition is very close to water,、mm -hmm. which makes it just very difficult to remove. So the Japanese government plans to dilute the wastewater with seawater to bring down the concentration and make it then safe to be released into the Pacific Ocean. How much water are we talking about? I know you had kind of a shocking stat in one of your articles for AljazeeRa dot com. Yeah, so 
We're talking about 1.34 million tons of treated radioactive wastewater, which is a lot. Um, to kind of give you an image, a visual image, that's around 500 Olympic-sized swimming pools. Mm. But these tanks don't just contain water that's been used to cool down the reactors. It also includes groundwater that's seeped in, rainwater. So even though Japan is releasing treated wastewater, there's actually more water that's being added. It's been more than a decade since the Fukushima meltdown. And Prime Minister Fumio Kishida gave the orders to release the water to the company that owns the Fukushima nuclear plant, Tokyo Electric Power Company, or TEPCO, on Thursday. So I asked Hanako, why now? Now a plan to release a massive amount of treated radioactive water into the Sea of Japan is stirring new fear and controversy. What led to this decision? Why release it at all? So... Japan feels that there's a very pressing issue at the moment. It simply doesn't have enough space anymore to store this treated radioactive wastewater. It says that it can't build any more tanks around the plant to store it. And, you know, it's explored other options as well in order to, I suppose, get rid of this wastewater. Things like trying to evaporate it or bury the water underground. And these were options considered around 2015, so around four years after the nuclear disaster. But the Japanese government and TEPCO decided to go ahead with releasing the treated radioactive wastewater into the ocean because other countries have been doing it. They knew that it was a safe and viable way to do it if levels met safety standards. After the break, we hear why some people inside and outside Japan have concerns. On the Inside Story podcast this week, Ethiopia is carrying out the fourth filling of its controversial Renaissance Dam. We're discussing whether it will agree to demands by Egypt and Sudan who are worried about the consequences. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm talking to journalist Hanako Montgomery who's been covering the release of wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear plant in Japan 12 years after a tsunami washed over it. She was just in Fukushima and says there is plenty of skepticism from local citizens about how Japan has dealt with the fallout. You know, since the disaster happened, there was a lot of speculation about TEPCO and how trustworthy its planning and its release could be. Because especially back in 2011, some of the victims of the nuclear disaster and the natural disaster felt as though TEPCO could have prevented what happened at the Daiichi power plant. And actually, a district court in Fukushima ruled that TEPCO, the the plant operators, were liable for the 2011 triple disaster. And, you know, they've been criticized for ignoring the threat posed by natural disasters to the Fukushima plant. And... There were some tests before the 2011 disaster Mm -hmm. showing just how devastating a tsunami could be. Oh. Yeah, and, you know, some of the victims felt as though TEPCO could have carried out preventative measures, like, for instance, placing an emergency power source on higher ground. I know that this was first announced in 2021 after all of those years of different ideas that you mentioned. But at that time, the former prime minister said 
that it would take 30 to 40 years to do so. Yeah, he said that it was going to take 30 to 40 years because, first of all, there's just a lot of treated wastewater to release. I mean, we're talking over a million tons of it. And the Japanese government wants to dilute the treated wastewater's concentration to about 1 40th of the level permitted under Japan's safety regulations. So it's well below, actually, I should say, the international safety levels. I have spoken to some nuclear scientists who say that Japan could actually release more wastewater if it wants to, and perhaps shorten that time span of 30 to 40 years. Mm. But Japan is being cautious, working on a more conservative timeline because of how contentious this release has become. So you were actually in Fukushima for the beginning of the release, and you were covering the story for Al Jazeera. Can you describe the scene for me? What was it like? Yeah, so I think, you know, in Fukushima, which is a very rural prefecture, it has lots of beautiful mountains and nature. Um, I think what striked me the most was these Japanese citizens who had lived through the 2011 triple disaster coming back again to the site of the disaster to protest Japan's plan. I think it's still too early to release the treated water into the ocean. It's too soon. I'd understand if they discussed it with everyone beforehand, but they haven't talked about it yet, and they shouldn't just go ahead and release it into the sea. You know, we heard from protesters who were gathered just outside the Daiichi nuclear power plant, just hours before Japan began releasing the wastewater. And they recalled how they had lost so much during the the disaster. I can't recommend to my grandchildren to become fishermen. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know what's going to happen. And they were carrying banners that said, don't release this waste into our oceans. It's not safe. This isn't treated wastewater. This is poison in our oceans. And... Tensions were high. I mean, we spoke to protesters who were very emotional about this release, you know, kind of on the brink of tears to thinking just about what happened 12 years ago and then what's happening today. They felt extremely disappointed with the Japanese government's decision to go ahead with the release. And Fukushima fishermen, of course, they're also concerned about the potential reputational damage that they could face. The water could contaminate the ocean and fish, And even if it doesn't, people may avoid buying seafood from Fukushima because of the move. If the fishermen are robbed of the sea, then we'll lose work. That will be the end of it. And this is the latest struggle the fishermen have endured, Hanako says. Back in 2011, when Japan experienced the nuclear disaster, they had to stop fishing altogether. So instead of selling their fish at markets, They were instead sending them to labs to test for radioactivity. And we're seeing the fishing industry recover somewhat, but it's still not at levels that it was at before the triple disaster. In 2015, the Japanese government did sign an agreement stating that they wouldn't release the wastewater if it didn't first get the approval from locals. Mm -hmm. But clearly, because Japan has gone ahead with its plan, that 
agreement is not something that they're going off of anymore. It's not just the Japanese public that have condemned this decision to release the wastewater, though. The Pacific Islands Forum, which includes Australia and New Zealand, published an op-ed in January in which they voiced grave concerns. But I want to focus on two neighboring countries specifically. So China and South Korea, who have concerns when it comes to marine life and public safety, where do they stand on this? South Korea was quite against the wastewater release I would say since the 2011 triple disaster, they introduced some bans on Japanese seafood. But the current president, uh, Yoon Suk-yeol, said it meets scientific standard. He said that he does not endorse or support the discharge, but scientifically it checks out. And this is a position that's been heavily criticized by the opposition party in South Korea, as well as civil groups. I think we saw last week 16 protesters were arrested in Seoul for trying to break into the Japanese embassy. In the South Korean capital, police arrested student protesters stormed the Japanese embassy in Seoul. There has been a lot of condemnation from civil groups, from civilians who fear that releasing this treated wastewater could damage fish caught off the coasts of South Korea, uh, could negatively affect their livelihood. Now in China, the Chinese government does not support the release whatsoever. It said some pretty, I suppose, salacious things. They called on Japan to not treat the ocean like its own private sewer. The ocean is not Japan's trash can. The Pacific Ocean is not Japan's sewers. Japan should not let the whole world pay for how it manages its nuclear wastewater. They have said that the wastewater is extremely dangerous and Japan is untrustworthy and that it is being extremely irresponsible and is not considering the health of the entire world. And on the same day of this wastewater release, China announced that it would ban all seafood imports from Japan. China has announced it will stop importing seafood from Japan as it begins releasing treated nuclear wastewater into the ocean from the Fukushima nuclear plant. And, of course, this move has been heavily criticized by the Japanese government. And I believe the U.S. ambassador to Japan will be visiting Fukushima in the coming days in order to, again, meet with locals and to kind of show from a political perspective that the wastewater is safe. Japan has made the equivalent of $200 million worth of funds available for Fukushima's fishermen with the idea of helping them stay in business. But Hanako says money's not always enough. For Fukushima fishermen, isn't just a part-time job that they can clock out of, right? It's not a job that they can find elsewhere. For them, they've said that the ocean is their workplace. And for some of these fishermen, they've been fishing for generations. And, you know, it's difficult to say how the story will end for them because we're not entirely sure when this wastewater release will even end. One fisherman I spoke to, he said, you know, I'm going to be dead by the time Japan is done with this wastewater release. I will never know how the story ends for myself. But he hopes that his 
grandchildren continue to be fishermen. But he's worried about just in what capacity they can be. Because again, like how he saw in 2011, fishing was suspended. Countries were banning seafood imports. And he fears the same sort of bans that he's he saw back in 2011. And what's also true is that these fishermen, that these locals are very concerned about what's going to happen to them. They feel like back in 2011, their lives were you know, almost a little dispensable. Um, and they're worried that, again, their voices aren't really being listened to at the moment. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Sonia Bagat and Chloe K. Lee, with David Enders, Ashish Malhotra, Amy Walters, Miranda Lynn, Khalid Sultan, Veronisa Campana, Zaina Bazir, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.